Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. And today we'll be recapping season two of New Girl. In case this is your first podcast or you just didn't know, Kelly and I originally met through work, but now we are long distance best friends because we bonded over our love of TV and we brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. As you know, our podcast reviews New Girl one episode at a time as we discuss plot and themes from each episode, our favorite Schmidt moment, which we call Schmidtisms, a segment called In the 2020s, where we review the show through today's lens, and we also touch on other things from the episode, like pop culture, guest stars, and trivia and fun facts. Finally, each podcast wraps up with our episode ratings and favorite characters, but don't worry because we always leave any spoilers for the end. Today, in our Season 2 recap, we're going to review and discuss each major character's story arc, as well as recap our favorite moments and ratings throughout the second season. Throughout this podcast, we'll be referencing an interview that the AV Club did with the show creator Elizabeth Merriweather and her co-showrunners Brett Bayer and Dave Finkel. We'll link all five parts of this article in the show notes for this episode. So to recap, in season one of the TV show New Girl, we meet Jess, a newly single teacher looking for a new apartment after her boyfriend cheats on her. She happens upon an ad for a loft where she's introduced to three men, Schmidt, Nick, and Coach. And while Coach does not end up staying for the season, Winston gets introduced as a new loft mate, and together, the four of them go through the ups and downs of their early 30s. In season two, we get to see them again, and we see their friendship blossom. Jess and Nick explored their feelings for each other, Schmidt and Winston explored their friendship, and Cece became basically an honorary loft mate and pursued some serious relationships. So to kick it off, we're going to look at each character individually to review where they were in season one, what happened with them in season two, and where we think they're going in season three. First up is Jess. We started the season with Jess losing her job as a teacher, which sent her on a spiral. She tried a bunch of odd jobs, including being a shop girl, before she got a role teaching adults. The season, we also met Jess's parents and saw her friendship with Cece continue to develop, leading to her even being Cece's maid of honor. But most notably, Jess explored new romantic relationships with Dr. Sam and ultimately tested the waters with Nick. But one major thing that we noted here is this season was really framed by the arc of her career, starting with her getting fired in episode one and having this crisis of being a shock girl, leading to some of the episodes like Neighbors, where she was really trying to figure it out, and Menzies, where she starts to get serious about it and ends up getting this job teaching adults, to the very end of the season, where she's actually getting to sub for kids again. And we kind of see this whole circle for just this season on her career. Yeah, wasn't it really crazy when she was working at the casserole shanty and the, her main claim to fame doing that was being cool to the neighbors that were the like millennial neighbors across, <laughs> across the hallway? I thought that was pretty silly. But then it was also interesting because... The original idea that we learned for Jess in her career arc this season was to actually teach literature in prison, not teach English to adults. And the kind of thought behind that from Dave Finkel when he was sharing was just that in the prison, the idea was that she would be teaching to kill a mockingbird to a guy who's like really quiet and shy, but then this gets in his head a little bit and they find a friendship or something. They had like this whole crazy plot line for 
how the To Kill a Mockingbird book themes and whatnot would tie in with Jess and a prison inmate teaching literature to them, which I honestly think could have been a fun piece of this season is to like see that dynamic. But I think what came out of it with having Edgar and obviously getting to see Julius Pepperwood from Nick in response to that was a great way to kind of keep it light and keep it with the loftmates. Yeah, I think it would have been very hard to have worked in any other loftmate into a prison storyline. It's honestly pretty out there, even for New Girl, to have this kind of a plot. I like where they ended up, though. And also, I like how in Menzies, they kind of kept a piece of that still in the episode where the infamous puppy in a cup scene is related to To Kill a Mockingbird. And so even though she wasn't teaching literature in prison, she was still teaching English in the actual show. And of course, we had to have Julius Pepperwood because that was so framing of this episode and especially, I think, how Jess and Nick interacted in the latter half of the season. I'm also really glad that they did wrap it up with the subbing and that we're getting back to her getting offered a role to work at the school because it was just going to be a little too drawn out at that point if she was still trying to do the adult teaching or like odd jobs because it did still feel like even while she was enjoying teaching again with the adults, it was kind of spiraling still, not really what she wants to do and be the teacher for kids. Like we all know that that's like Jess's storyline and like where Jess is going. And so I'm glad that they were able to wrap that up by the end of the season. Yeah, I think it made a good final piece for this so that when we go into the next season, we're not still in this in-between of where Jess is going to go. Another thing that I think really popped up when we were watching season one and a hope we had for her in season two was how she felt like she needed to control every situation. We saw it a lot in season one with how she was interacting with Nick and even as early as Naked, where she wanted to make things better even when he wanted something different. And honestly, in this season, I think there were still some moments where she had a feel of needing to control. I mean, even the loftmates set her pogo as being a know-it-all, which is in that same vein. But there was also a lot of growth for her in that perspective, I felt like, this season, with being able to be there for people as they needed them more than season one. Yeah, she definitely still had a little bit of control issues when she was freaking out about her fertility and eggs and really being like, oh my gosh, like the world is ending and like, I can't fix this. And like, it's just is what it is. I mean, I could definitely empathize with that feeling of like not having control over yourself and your health at times when you're just kind of waiting on a test. But at the same time, it's something that she was just like, I need to be in charge of this. She also had a similar thing with her parents, right? In the episode parents where she's trying to get them back together and like basically trying to do a parent trap that she's tried to do I guess many times so there's some like past that we're getting with Jess we're developing this but like it makes sense that she does try to control a lot of things but then we're getting to put those pieces together and did still sort of see that this season but like your point Kritika there were many times though in this season where maybe she was a little controlling of a situation but she was doing it within the boundaries of her friends asking for her help. So that was really nice to see. Exactly. And even with the fertility thing, you said she's freaking out about it. She literally stuck her head out the window and yelled for Los Angeles to fertilize her. <laughs> like that is 
out there, if anything. But I think your point about within the bounds of like her friends asking her is so important because when we see Bathtub and Neighbors, Winston and Schmidt, which we don't always get to see a ton of paired with Jess because there's so much Jess and Nick, it was so great to see them asking for her help and her being able to make a difference, like really impact with Schmidt what it is that the neighbors didn't like about him or with Winston, the panic attacks, getting it to a level where she actually shows herself being vulnerable. And I think putting herself in that closet was another way where she really didn't have control of the situation because she's putting herself in a situation that freaks her out. And I thought that was so sweet to see her interact with Winston that way. Yeah. And additionally, even with Nick in the funeral episode, she really was growing there because she wanted to be there and support her friend. And he wasn't necessarily asking her directly. Like he basically wanted her to do the entire funeral because he just like couldn't essentially, or like write the eulogy because he just didn't want to like think about it. But she found a way to help and be helping in the situation without truly interjecting. Although I'm sure some of you would say that the Elvis thing was maybe a little over the top, but I think it really brought the whole funeral together. Like it made it light enough, especially because Walt had his own situation. Nick had his own struggles with Walt, but Jess with her Elvis impression was able to help her friend in a way that only Jess could. I think it's very important to note there that it's the only way Jess could because Jess is always over the top. She will do anything for her friends. And we really see that also with Cece. Last season, we didn't know how their friendship really worked together. But in this season, we see a lot more of Jess and Cece together as well with Winston's birthday and how she was able to drop everything and be there for Cece. And even at times being a little selfish, trying to talk to her about Nick when Cece's wedding is the next day. But still, she's a good friend there, helping as she needed. Like she still went and called Shivrong to come and sit with Cece, but it was what Cece needed. And it wasn't over the top because she knows her friend so well and was able to kind of balance that against maybe her own thoughts in episodes like Bachelorette Party where she didn't think Chevron was right for her but could still support her friend which I think last season we wouldn't have seen her be so quiet about it until prompted she would have actually gone out of her way to say are you sure about this is this what you want like I don't think this is right for you you shouldn't do it and I love to see her growth in that aspect in this season a thousand percent same I'm very much looking forward to how she's going to only continue this growth in season three and where that's going to develop. But before we truly leave season two, we do need to talk about Jess's relationships. Obviously, this was a huge, huge relationship year because we got to meet Dr. Sam and see what kind of journey that was. That originally started too with her pretending to be Katie to just pick up a guy at the bar because she wanted like this alter ego who was a little bit more daring and went out of her comfort zone to try to get with just a random person and hook up with them and not have that emotional ties, which we knew from the first season, that was a really big piece for her. She couldn't really have a one night stand and she really didn't successfully have one. But now almost immediately in season two, we're seeing Jess stepping out of her comfort zone. I think even relating back to the theme we mentioned about her needing to control, this is a place where I think she needed to control the situation by not being in the situation 
I mean, this was so early. She had just gotten fired. She didn't really know what to do with her life. And that's how Katie was born. And I really like seeing her arc here too, because sometimes it does feel like you have to kind of get out of yourself to be able to move forward. And while it started as the sex only thing with Sam, and then eventually they broke up, got back together. I think Jess needed to go through something like that, where she was able to see how she could separate these feelings and be able to have a different experience, like you said, step out of her comfort zone. And I think that Sam, while they didn't end up together by the end of the season and it led her to Nick, I'm really glad she had this relationship and was able to go through these experiences, no matter how much it might have hurt for her in the moment. I think she grew from all of this. I think so too. And I'm really glad to have Sam in that relationship as well. But then I think it is interesting that almost dichotomy between how she interacted with Sam and how she interacts with Nick. Obviously, there's like so much different history with both of those relationships. But it's kind of interesting to think back how in Halloween, even when she's dressed as as a whatever Woody Allen, you know, if it's supposed to be cute or not, but she's looking at Sam and she's telling him, this is what I need out of this relationship. And Sam, we commended him in that in that time and when we reviewed it, saying, you know, he said he didn't want that. So they were like mutually on the same page, at least of, okay, what I want is not what the other wants to give me. But then when we get to Nick later in the season, there's clearly, definitely, obviously, chemistry with both of them and everyone watching this show as much as we like or dislike Dr. Sam we want Jess and Nick like everybody wants Jess and Nick like you have to see it play through but I got irritated because so much through the second half of the season they were just dancing around their feelings which I kind of get for Jess like that's maybe a way that Jess was trying to truly interject herself because she wanted Nick to do something, but she wasn't ever telling him what she wanted him to do. She was just trying to say, tell me how you feel. And he wouldn't, and he didn't. And so she didn't ever speak up herself. And I'm like, you did it with Sam so nicely. And yet you can't do the same with Nick. And in season one, when she tried to have a conversation like this with Paul about not wanting the same things, and it was the opposite where she was more in Sam's bucket Nick had to open his mouth and start that conversation. And I don't know how Jess would have approached that had it not been prompted by Nick. And so when I saw this happen with Sam, I thought that would continue. And like you said, it was very frustrating through the later half of the season to not have this same dialogue happen with Nick. And to your point, Nick wasn't able to express some of his feelings, which Jess doesn't have control over. But she fully had the ability to say something. And after Cooler when they kissed and they went to their separate rooms, I get taking the time to figure out your own thoughts before you go and address it. So I understand why she didn't in table 34 immediately go to Nick. And I also get that roommates make things more complicated. But even when she was talking with Cece, she started talking about how it didn't mean anything or she didn't kiss him back, but she saw through space and time for a second when they kissed. And she was so in denial. Like she knew exactly what she wanted, but she couldn't verbalize it not only to Nick, but I think even to herself for a majority of the second half of the season, which 
to some extent we understand, but I also think like I expected her and wanted her to get there sooner so that we could get more of Jess and Nick actually being together and not just, you know, together a little bit away and then together and away and this on and off again we kept seeing. Yeah, get them together and not just dancing around what are their feelings when they both kind of knew what their feelings were or at least had the opportunity to say what their feelings were to the other person. So I guess too, we kind of hope in season three that they start to have more open communication because clearly at the end of the season, they run off together. They're driving away from Cece's wedding together and we want to see them together. We want to see them talking more and actually defining their relationship. So that's a big hope for season three. And our other big hopes for season three is, as we mentioned, she's back into the subbing thing, and we really hope she'll be back into that teacher mode, fulfilling what we think will make Jess the most happy, and that we get to see more of her family, because getting to see her parents and how they interact, and then her dad, Bob, coming back even at the end of the season again, we love to see those interactions play out to get to know more of who Jess is, so hopefully we'll continue to see more of that. Yeah, and to paraphrase a favorite TV show of ours, Ted Lasso, meeting people's parents is like seeing a part of their soul. So we do really hope to see more of Jess's family. Nick, in season two, gave us all so much to laugh about. From giving us Julius Pepperwood from Chicago and writing his novel Z for Zombies, we saw Nick develop in ways we weren't necessarily expecting, but in ways that we loved. While his job at the bar remained the same, though he did have a pretty brilliant idea for Guy's Night, despite what Jess thought, we did get to meet Nick's dad, Walt, and further members of his family when it was Walt's funeral. The biggest plotline for Nick this season, though, was his relationship with Jess. But before we can really dive into that relationship, we do need to talk about Nick and his struggle to be vulnerable. As much as we saw him develop in ways, like I said, we didn't necessarily see him develop in a way that made him truly open up to those he was trying to bring closest to him. In season one, we definitely referred to him a lot in checking in on if he was doing okay and if he was depressed and if this show was just all about Nick and his depression. But I feel like in this season, like you said, it was more about him struggling to be vulnerable and how he didn't really believe in himself. Even from the middle of the season where Andrew was a stripper and he kept hanging on to that and couldn't let go of that this was her profession, that she might be proud of what she was doing. And it wasn't just until she can get enough money for college or something temporary for her. All of these things, like the way he phrased it, And the way later with Jess, he couldn't form how he felt about it and what he wanted out of that relationship. Like throughout the season, there was just so much of uncertainty in himself. Even with Shane and like the one episode that he got to be with Shane, the bar owner, apparently, that to me was just him trying to escape being vulnerable with Jess. Like he didn't want to finally close out. Like that was the whole thing is he that episode ended by him going, well, I didn't know the door was open. If the door was open, I would have made a different choice, but the door seemed very closed. It wasn't anything like, what was I supposed to do? And you're like, you were supposed to talk with Jess, Nick. Like you were supposed to tell her how you felt. And instead he was deciding, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to go hook up and go get under somebody else. And you're just like, 
I don't know how you came to that conclusion, but that wasn't the best conclusion to come to. I found it surprising too that Dave Finkel was sharing that a big part of season two was to do an arc to understand Nick's inner demons and where he comes from. And every episode, he said, has a touchstone of that. It kind of kicked off in episode one. But seeing the season, looking into Nick at episode by episode, I would say that we didn't fully understand every inner demon that he has. We just kind of saw a little bit of Again, disbelief in himself, like you mentioned, but also just avoidance of truly acknowledging his feelings. Really, the only moment we got to see that was with Tran. It's so interesting how different his relationship with Tran is compared to everybody else in his life. Like, he has known Schmidt for 10 plus years. He's lived with him for 10 years. He has known Winston since childhood, but neither of these people are someone he can go to to just truly express himself. And maybe part of that is Tran doesn't speak back to him and he's just this silent person who can listen and Nick can just share whatever he wants. But it's it's so interesting that it's a person he'd never met before. He builds this bond with a stranger. And it's so great as a viewer to be able to see that play out because we actually get to see what Nick is thinking. And I think that's where the understanding of Nick's inner demons gets highlighted because we actually see him work out like, oh, here's why I'm angry. Here's why this is the case. Yes, I actually am in love with my roommate. And it's so interesting juxtapose. Even in episode 21, when he finally asks out Jess, what he says to Tran versus what he says to her, calling her his toilet sister. There's so much there that you can see that he's trying to get there, but he is not quite there yet. So hopefully with season three, we see more of that and build up that confidence. He definitely is trying. And yeah, I think I've said before with Tran, I feel like that relationship is so open for him because it's like talking to himself because Tran literally has no words. Like he doesn't say anything. He's just smiling and nice and like, some random person at the park, right? It's only his. So I think that, and I think I said this in our podcast episode, that that relationship for him is almost like a therapy because it's just like he can just verbalize all his thoughts to the open space, but not alone. Because remember, the enemy is the inner me. Love that you brought that back right now. That's my favorite thing. (laughs) So great. (laughs) But... The inner me is not the only enemy because I think the other enemy in this season for Nick is not having a true father figure and not having the comfort that a father figure can bring. Elizabeth Merriweather had noted that this season seemed like a good opportunity in episode two even to have Nick face up to his life and show that he needs a father figure, which she also noted was a theme throughout the season because we see him with Walt, we see him lose Walt, and then obviously all of the stuff with Jess's dad at the end of the season, he's constantly looking for that father figure. And it's interesting also to see his relationship with Walt throughout the episodes because in A Father's Love, we get to see kind of the negative impacts of his relationship with his father where his dad might have tried but could never reach Nick the way he wanted to. But then when we see the flashback in Virgins, however misguided the wording of what Walt is saying, 
it does feel like they connected more. So you can see why it's a very tumultuous relationship and why Nick has something that's just not consistent. And and that's where like even his conversation with Winston in A Father's Love, he said, I would rather have consistency than to have this relationship with my father whenever he wants to breeze through. Yeah, I did really like getting to meet Walt in this season and having that backstory for Nick. And also later getting to meet his mom, who fits the description of the person who calls him every Christmas to say, are you going to make your flight home so perfectly? Like, I could just totally see that out of Bonnie. But then it was just nice to put those pieces together. So as far as I guess with inner demons and whatnot, like understanding, again, someone's family really helps kind of see into the character a lot more. And so it's fun that both with Jess and with Nick, we got to see their families and their parents a lot more. But I thought what was interesting in this whole like looking for a father figure arc as well is Jess's dad and how we got to see him come back in a few different episodes and how Nick and Jess's dad, Bob, are really similar to each other. And I think that's humorous for sure, because then it's like, it's Jess trying to like date her dad essentially. But it's also interesting for Nick to see someone like him, but older and someone who approaches things like he does, but an older version of that. And how Jess's dad almost spins that into a negative way at times. And it's just, it was interesting to see Nick really look to these older men as guides for him and have them be like, no, you don't want to follow me. And I think that's where in the article, Elizabeth Merriweather was making this comparison in episode two, which is where we meet future Nick or really the homeless man who lives outside the bar. But (laughs) I think that's why he was so quick to believe it because he's looking for someone who can show him he's going to be okay. And looking at Jess's dad and knowing that now he considers himself successful. And while he may not be married still, he has like a wonderful daughter that he has raised. And seeing that he could get there, I think is what keeps Nick going. And so when, like you said, Jess's dad turns that into a negative of how long it took. I think that's why it was so crushing for Nick, whether he chose to admit that to himself and Jess or not. But it's why it was so crushing because he was looking at it as this could be someone who I could be like, this is how I could grow up into. And her dad is just saying, well, it's gonna take you a long time to get there. And that's not good enough. As much as Nick was coming from a good place, he was never gonna make the case to the dad of the woman he's sleeping with that this random hooking up is meant is like true love and it's going to be working out perfectly. And because no dad wants to hear that it was never going to happen the way that Nick was envisioning it, despite how he was bonding with Bob. I think then that kind of translates not like not necessarily Bob's his experience with Bob specifically, but just this whole looking for a different kind of parental guidance through this season, as we were kind of getting to see that, as we were seeing how he was interacting with his relationships this season, with Jess, that's where a lot of that insecurity stems from. It's just not having the confidence of knowing, okay, I can take a risk and it can be okay. Not having that modeled for him previously, just really 
made it difficult for him to commit. And I think any chance that he takes to come out of that model and explore something new, he's being turned down by people. As late as Elaine's big day in the season finale, he changes into a nice suit and Jess immediately attributes it to what her dad said. And then Schmidt says, this isn't you, and tries to like get him out of feeling this way, even though it's maybe a healthy avenue to explore. And Kelly, you had mentioned in that podcast how Nick can want to do something different and it be okay. It doesn't have to be that he stays the same way he is in every single relationship, as long as he's the one driving that change. And when he does try to break that mold and see something different, there are people like Schmidt who in that episode, we're probably selfishly doing it so that Nick could help him. But I think that leaves a lasting impact on Nick that, oh, I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't try to do these things, which is tough to see because I think I think he could make a lot of good steps forward. And hopefully, now that we've seen them drive away at the end of season two, like we said for Jess, we hope that this this will lead to a good committed relationship for them with a lot of open communication. I think though too, We know that Nick has this in him, that he has the confidence and he has the feelings and it's just a matter if he can act on them. Because obviously we all know and we all love episode 15, Cooler, where they're behind the door and they're supposed to kiss for the game. But then Nick in this heated moment is just like, not like this. You know he you know he cares. You know he has that confidence. And then obviously he comes back later and like fully smooches her. It was great. But that's that's the kind of Nick acting on that passion, acting on that interest is what we want in season three. Is we want them to develop their relationship and we want them to be open with each other, as we said with Jess, but we want to see Nick specifically have that confidence with her. Exactly. And finally with Nick, kind of continuing from one of our themes in season one is just his relationship with Schmidt and Winston or the rest of the Loftmates. He just goes back so far in time and in friendship with both Schmidt and Winston. Knowing, like I mentioned earlier, he's known Winston since childhood and we get to see that in Virgins when we see their backstories and Nick is also in Schmidt's backstory because he's just this presence in their life from such a long time. And I loved getting to see in the season just the different ways in which we see them explore their friendships, like with Models and Schmidt and Gave Me Cookie Got You Cookie. Yeah, even with Winston used to go on these like trips with his dad and (laughs) get to be like part of the family and just that bonds that they all had. So kind of going into season three, with the friendships of the Loftmates and knowing all that history that sits behind that, we really hope to see that they continue that bond and don't have these like little fights like they used to have in season one. Like they're there to support each other and nothing else. And like with Gave Me Cookie, Got You Cookie, we hope that Nick will continue to express himself. We said that for Jess, but then also with his friends and be able to show them in ways that they will understand that he really does appreciate them because there are moments like in Tinfinity and the hot air balloon. So we just want to see more of that. And to take that just a little bit further and on a lighter note, we do hope to see that he continues to take better care of himself. When Nick is feeling good, he's doing his laundry and he's getting things at the hardware store because he has great ideas for guys night. So 
that would be fun to see too, is just Nick a little bit more excited about himself because <laughs> that's always a good time. And then switching to Winston, in this season, we finally got to know a little bit more about Winston, like meeting his family, even though it was only for one episode. And while he starts the season still with Shelby, that quickly fizzles out, and Winston is on his own journey until he meets Daisy towards the middle of the season. He still doesn't have a lot of time in the season for his own storylines, but we do get to see him pursue a larger role at the radio station and get to learn about his other alter ego, Frank Sinatra. Starting off with like getting to know more about Winston, one of our season two hopes that kind of came true was we did get to see a little bit more of his life with his love life and how we got to see Shelby. We didn't see them too much in season one. And honestly, in season two, we didn't get a lot, but we did get to at least see this breakup with Shelby, which in my opinion, the relationship kind of dragged on longer than it should have in season two. But I think it was good to have like a little bit of a storyline towards this relationship and breakup because otherwise we got so little of it. And especially knowing now that Elizabeth Merriweather knew they wanted to break them up. She mentioned that they wanted to do this haunted house as a metaphor for a relationship. And that's how they were going to break up Shelby and Winston. And while this wasn't maybe one of my favorite moments in the episode and in the season, I'm glad we actually got to see this play out on our screens and not just dismissing as like written away in a storyline as, oh yeah, we broke up. I'm glad we got to see it too. I did actually like Shelby's role in the Halloween episode and how that played out with them. And because Winston ends up being so much of the sea story through so much of the season, which while we got some fun Winston moments, it just is irritating because there were some fun ones that I wanted expanded, like I wanted to do more with it or I didn't want it to be forgotten about. I think if this was a longer show and not a 20 minute show, but a 40 minute show, we would have gotten some of those pieces brought in. But then my whole thing with this breakup with Shelby is that we left season one and felt like, okay, they're like pretty solid couple. They're in each other's lives, there's really like a good bond going with them. And we come into season two and it's instantly like, well, we're not connecting. We haven't had sex in a couple of weeks. Everything's wrong. What should we do? And okay, finally we are breaking up because it's just not working. We're on different pages. And I'm just like, okay, like you clearly came into season two only with that purpose of breaking them up. And like, we forgot everything that they were in season one. Yeah, they very quickly moved to break them up without even giving us anything in season two of why they would have been a good couple. And even when we later get to meet Daisy, there is like a little bit of a storyline. I mean, it's happening at the same time that Jess and Nick kiss for the first time. So again, obviously like a BC plot there for Winston, but we really don't get to see much of Winston and Daisy either. Like we see that she's got a really tight window and they hook up and that's all we see of their relationship pretty much throughout the season so even though we're getting some more than maybe we did last season it's very clear that this is a c storyline and we even mentioned in winston's birthday or episode 24 that the showrunner started to know about this and that everyone was like us asking for more winston what are we going to do with winston and they thought it would be funny to have even an episode called Winston's Birthday have him in the sea story again. 
and while Lamorne Morris does great work with all of this, I think it would have been nice to at least get more of Winston, even more in season two, because we got some, but not enough of what we wanted. And I think that really tells you what our biggest season three hope is for Winston is that we want more and we want more and more because we don't want Winston to be an afterthought. We want an A storyline with Winston, if not A, because, okay, new girl is about Jess. He's a B storyline, but solidly B, not solidly C every episode. So that's our biggest hope. That doesn't only have to be about his love life. That can be about his family or his work. And so we saw a little bit of that in the season two with getting to meet his parents for that one episode. And the Virgins and Chicago episode gave us a little bit more context into his relationship with Nick's family, which was a big part of his relationship and I think his family even. And we really dive into that mostly when we see Walt. So Chicago and a father's love. We really get to see how Winston is as part of this family. But I think one of the one of the key pieces of what you said was, I think that's Winston's family too, is Nick's family. And I'm like, one of my biggest issues with understanding Winston's family this season whether that is Nick's family or his own family, is that we got introduced to his mom and sister early on in the season, and we've never mentioned them again, and we probably will never hear about them again. And the the content that was shared for that storyline with his family is nowhere near what happened with Jess's parents and what we got to learn about them and what happened with Nick's parents and what we got to learn about them. We only got to see... One little episode with no callbacks, no flash forwards of his mom and his sister. And it didn't even relate to anything that happened with Nick's family, which felt really, really confusing to me. Like there was a big gap of like, how did Winston's family even know or care that he did spent all this time and called Nick's dad Pop Pop? Like, what? <laughs> And to me, it's less about their interaction with Nick's family, but also that when we did get Winston's family in the show, it was also centered around Schmidt and Schmidt trying to hit on Winston's sister and Winston's mom not liking that. And that was the entire conversation. It was never about Winston also being a pro basketball player and his sister being a basketball player, which could have opened so many avenues of how did they interact with each other or you know, she played for a team that was right there. So did they interact a lot? How often did he see his mother and sister? And like you said, there's no callbacks. We never actually hear about them again. Whereas with Jess and Nick, there's still like a thought of, oh, I go home for the holidays or this is what happens in both season one and season two. And so it really left us lacking. And it felt like getting it was so small that while we did want to highlight, we got something more. I think it made us more frustrated that we didn't get a full dive into this. Yeah. And I would say we also didn't get a full dive into Winston's work life in the same way that we maybe would Jess. But I mean, that kind of does make sense. And in season three, if we do get more of something for Winston, I'd love to get more of his family over more of his work. I still feel like his work currently, while he got promoted, while he was, you know, on his adjusted sleep schedule and like really going for it. I don't know that I'm really invested, I would say, in his career as a broadcaster 
I want to see more of his family if I got to pick. And I think the place we really do see Winston a lot is how he relates to other loftmates. So like his friendship with each of them, because he is always there. Like that is his defining trait where he's able to help Nick and Schmidt's relationship and models where he's not even in the dynamic, but he's helping making them better. And when Nick is going through and trying to write his book, even when he's on that adjusted sleep schedule you just mentioned, he goes to the zoo with Nick while Nick gets drunk. And he is just always there, even till the last episode where he's almost bleeding out, asks the bartender to call an ambulance for him because he has spent his time helping Nick with Jess. And while we love to see how great of a friend Winston is, it would be great to see it the other way too, where people are helping him more than just just in the bathtub scene once. <laughs> Winston bleeding out at the end of the whole season and having the bartender call, that had to be another Elizabeth Merriweather like poke at the audience to be like, yeah, we, we got it. Winston's not being thought about because it was just too funny for him to be like, I'm literally dying right now, but let me help you out. No problem. <laughs> So yeah, I think to really follow that through, we want to see more. We want to see more family. We want to see the friends supporting Winston. We want Winston to not actually be dying and have no one actually care. And our last new theme that we saw through this season was really Winston's pranking. In season one, we got to meet Theodore K. Mullins. And this season, we got to meet Prank Sinatra, all Winston-created personas. And... Even Elizabeth Merriweather said, like, at least out of neighbors, they got to sit this arc for him for the season to say he's bad at pranks. And while we really do think they're so hit or miss on his pranking here, we would love to see more of these going forward because it's just great to see how Winston's brain thinks through these pranks. Schmidt this season spends most of his time getting over Cece, only to realize that he's actually in love with her and he wants to be with her long-term. And while he ends the season, not really sure where he stands with her, through the season, we do get to see him explore new connections with people like Emma or rekindling things with his college girlfriend, Elizabeth. He also grows his bonds with Nick and Winston as we get to see how the characters met and became roommates and how they really are driving forces in each other's lives. One of the biggest things in season one that we were kind of tracking and keeping tabs on is his douchiness, both in his relationships and with the douchebag jar. And really, much of that reduced this season. It was kind of nice to see. And it's not like Schmidt has set such a high bar of where reducing looks like, but I think we got to see so many more genuine moments from Schmidt this season. Like, it may have been douchey in the actual things he's saying, but the driving force behind it was much more genuine. Like in episode three, when he pretends to be a Romney brother, it's pretty terrible how he's treating this woman. And especially at the end when he says that he didn't want them anyway because they didn't believe him. But what's driving all of that is his own lack of a father figure and him dealing with those issues. And as opposed to season one, I feel like we explored that a little bit more closely. I think the only time in season one we really saw it was maybe control. But in season two, 
We saw it there. We saw him after Cece and him didn't work out after he got drunk. There were much more moments where I think I felt depth from Schmidt in this season. Yeah, and I guess you're right. Schmidt was still pretty douchey throughout the season. There was still lots of moments where he was questionable. But I guess it feels like less because it was less broad of who he was being a douche to and more specifically just in relationships or relationship settings like with Romney woman who he was trying to impress but even you know trying to have like his whole relationship with Emma was really interesting to me because in that he was ultimately trying to forget about Cece kind of almost what Nick was doing when he was trying to be with Shane just like a little bit longer of an arc but he was trying to forget about Cece have this crazy sex contract with his boss and like do all the crazy things that she wanted or they wanted to do but then what came out of that was him having a deeper understanding for himself so while it may have felt icky in the earlier stages by the end I was like wow Schmidt you grew so much from this really crazy interaction so the writers kept pulling me in different directions with Schmidt this season. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting that you bring up Emma because one of our other season two hopes was that he would leave Astrap because it's a pretty toxic environment. And while, like you said, his relationship with Emma was a little bit weird, icky at first, maybe a little bit of harassment in there and leading to something that I think was genuine for him to find – the company itself was still really toxic. And and you see that even when Elizabeth comes for lunch towards the end of the season and he lets them think that Elizabeth is just janitorial help and lets them say things about her that you shouldn't be saying about someone that you really have feelings for. And so while he didn't leave Astrat in this season, it's something that I think we continue to see a little bit as we watched him both go through his relationship with Emma and even his relationship with Elizabeth because, like you said, they were pulling Schmidt in different ways where with Emma, we were getting this realization, but then this interaction with Elizabeth, he didn't stand up for her. So he wasn't able to separate his need to be liked and and respected at work from what he actually wanted. And I definitely shared this in the episodes with Elizabeth that I was, I'm, I'm just not a big Schmidt-Elizabeth fan at all. And it's interesting, though, to hear Elizabeth Merriweather share about how their chemistry was really good. And I did really like Merritt Weaver, I guess I should say, in the role playing Elizabeth. I think she did a really good job. Her character does really push Schmidt to cut the bullshit, as Elizabeth Merriweather says. It's important to have that happen to him. But then Schmidt is almost like sliding into this, okay, well, I'll just be this person from college. I won't actually be who I am today. And I'll just kind of change myself to be with you. It just didn't sit well with me. And I and I felt like with both Emma and, and with Elizabeth, Schmidt was just finding ways to keep himself busy, to not be thinking about Cece. Either while Cece decided she was going to go find someone to marry and that person was not Schmidt, or when... Cece's literally getting married and again that person's not Schmidt I mean Schmidt spent the entirety of Cece's wedding after having read a conversation through her eyes to then be not with Elizabeth at all and sabotage her wedding because Cece wanted him to and you're just like 
Schmidt, you're, you're, you're avoiding, like you're avoiding your feelings. And part of it is because you're trying to do what Cece wants, but like Cece's kind of avoiding her feelings too. (laughs) I think the fact that he's trying to change himself for Elizabeth, like I mentioned in previous podcasts, isn't so terrible. I think it depends on how much he changes. And I think we've yet to see where that goes as to, is he going to be a completely different person? Or is he going to be a better version of himself? So I think on that one, I have to kind of wait and see where that goes, especially because of how season two ended. And where you're saying that he broke this up for Cece because he read her eyes. He did read her correctly, though. Like, she didn't want to be in this. So I think there's definitely still something there with Cece, especially with the episode 25 ending with Cece saying, yes, I was talking about you, and I'm open to trying again, basically. And Schmidt is really unable to figure out how to respond to that moment as to if he wants to be with Elizabeth or with Cece, even though it sounds like whichever choice he made, either of those women would have accepted it graciously and it wouldn't have been a cat fight or anything like that. And so it's going to be very interesting going into season three to see how he starts to work on these relationships. And we really hope that whichever choice he picks, whether it's Elizabeth or Cece, He just has a more steady relationship and stops playing the field in this way and is just less selfish about how he approaches these relationships. I don't must be okay if he didn't choose either and he chose someone else, but it was still a steady relationship. However, I want him to be all in and I don't want him to be trying to just get over or under somebody else just because. I'm with you though. That's our hope. Another big arc though for Schmidt this season was not his relationships with women, but his friendships with the guys. And part of those guys actually includes Robbie, Cece's ex-boyfriend. This was one of the best dynamics in this whole season. Brett Baer even mentioned that after seeing Halloween and like seeing Schmidt and Robbie interact together, they knew that they had to develop that friendship. And so that's where they did bring him back into episode 13 and really wanted to bring him back through many episodes through the season, even though he didn't get to come back to as many, because they almost wanted him to be like the Frasier character played by Kelsey Grammer on the TV show Cheers, just to have him around and incorporate him in. I think that could have been really fun, but it also makes sense that he wasn't quite like another returning character, but I'm so glad we got to see so much more of Robbie and Schmidt in this season. Watching the two of them interact, even as, again, misguided as they may have been in what they were trying to do, the dynamic is definitely clear that they work well together, and it was so great seeing them on our screens. And it was also nice to see someone that wasn't already part of the loft to kind of like expand that network. Like we always used to talk about how there were nameless people that they played football with and you know they have all these friends that we don't talk to in Tinfinity but it was great to see something kind of develop beyond just Winston and Nick as well to see how Schmidt would interact with other people but speaking of Winston and Nick I think we really got to see a lot of Schmidt and Winston this season there are so many lines where we get to see them build this friendship whether that's when he's trying to help Winston embrace himself in Cabin, or how Winston helps Schmidt in Walt's funeral. But I think most notably is the episode where they try to sabotage Nick's date with Jess. And 
even though we feel like by this point they've already become best friends because we've seen these episodes prior to this but watching them try to sabotage the date and then them actually coming to their own conclusion via outside dave that they're actually best friends and have been for a while and they don't need nick to keep them together speaking of his friendship with nick Getting to see Schmidt be vulnerable with Nick and really explain to him how much he loves him in episode five models with the gave you cookie, got you cookie scene was really big. Like Schmidt really appreciated that. We also got to see Tenfinity. Schmidt and Nick have been living together as roommates for 10 years and they had a party to commemorate it. And yes, that is Schmidt's doing 100%, but his dynamic with Nick is really special. And we hope we only get to see more of that in season three. We also hope to see more of Schmidt's family. We didn't really get to meet his mom or his dad or other family members, but we did get to meet his cousin that they call Big Schmidt. And that was really, really fun. And that episode was ripe with moments that should have gone to the douchebag jar, but we really didn't see a lot of that in season two. So continuing from our season one recap, we really hope that in season three, we see more mentions of this douchebag jar. But at the same time, we don't want Schmidt to be a douche. So hopefully there's a way that we can still get both of those things. But finally, getting to Cece in this season, she really broke out of the mold of being Jess's friend and became a staple of the cast and a member of the loft. And while she wasn't awarded a pogo because it was a loft-only thing, her desire to settle down really framed this entire season because we built towards her wedding. And this season, she had a push-and-pull relationship with Schmidt that resulted in her getting into a sort of arranged marriage and breaking it off at the wedding because she admitted she really does have feelings for Schmidt. Starting off with how she kind of broke the mold here, in season one, we talked about Justin Cece's friendship, and we really hoped in season two that we would see more of their friendship. And we think it really came true here because we got to see a lot of their friendship scenes, why they're friends, why that bond continued through how many years the two of them have been friends. And I liked how in Virgins, we got to see multiple different situations at different times of their lives where they had had these conversations. And again, in Models, we had a couple flashbacks to when Cece was first discovered. And so it was really cool to get to see more of how they became friends, their traditions, like in Models of Cece's birthday, where they have a tradition every year, they do something. And that was something I don't feel like we got a lot of in season one. Even to see more of their fights. I'd loved seeing the fights as well, like the boob slapping, so ridiculous. But we saw that in Models. And even in Bachelorette Party, they had another fight, essentially. Like there just was more dynamic to this friendship both in the moments that they were truly supporting each other when it was the Winston birthday episode and Cece got the henna smeared all over her face and is just screaming on the phone and Jess immediately goes to go see how she is and what's going on and is honestly like the best maid of honor ever you know trying to stop the sabotaging as much as she possibly can and the pranking but being supportive of her friend so I, I liked the dynamic that came this season. Another thing that really happened in season one a lot was Cece didn't give the best advice to Jess. And in the dynamic that we saw this season, it got a lot better. Like we didn't see a lot of the same things. She was able to sit with Jess and listen to her when 
Jess was sharing about Nick and everything she felt. And even when her wedding was the next day, she was able to steer that in the right way where it wasn't just like, oh, go do this or some of the ways in which she approached her advice to Jess in season one. So it was great to see that kind of change as well in season two. Another arc for Cece this season was her settling down. And Brett Baer, Elizabeth Merriweather, and Dave Finkel all really said that they knew Cece was going to get married this season. And that was a big arc and storyline for her. But then around episode nine, Brett Baer mentioned how they had this idea of her having an arranged marriage. But once they knew that and they knew they want to have her get married by the end of the season, they didn't know how they were going to get us there. And then they had this idea of having fertility issues and having that be a driving force. And so thus the episode eggs really dove into that because we talked about how Jess in that moment was like, oh my gosh, like what's happening? Like I have to control this, like fertilize me. But really with Cece, she was calm. She didn't really care. She was really just focused on her career. But then when she got this news, it really was that switching point. And from then is participating in those Indian marriage convention And getting set up via her parents on different dates and trying to meet somebody and finally meeting Chevron. And despite how poorly that was going every time he met her friends, they really were together and their engagement ended up being kind of cute. And they were getting married and planning this wedding. And only at the end, when they both really secretly wanted it to be sabotaged, they, you know, Cece was settling down and Cece was going to commit to this being married it's interesting like you mentioned that the idea of her getting married at the end of the season came before the fertility issues or the idea of an arranged marriage because that means that they were kind of driving towards a goal but they weren't really sure how they were going to get there but I don't think it's very clear when you're watching the season that it's like that so I think they did a great job of being able to explore how something like fertility issues could accelerate that because Cece before was not thinking about kids or marriage that quickly. And her whole arc after eggs changed completely. And that really led to Schmidt kind of getting back more involved because she did break up with Robbie about this. And we said in season two that we really hope they'd get back together. And this kind of came true. I mean, they did give it a chance in the middle. And obviously, Schmidt didn't live up to what Cece was expecting out of that moment with bathtub. And that led her on this path of getting an arranged marriage. But at the end, there is still an open question about whether they're going to get back together or not. I mean, personally, this is where Kelly and I differ on our hopes for season three. I really do hope they get back together. And I hope they have a good, solid relationship out of this. And all of the struggles that have brought them to where they are have kind of disappeared. And we'll see smoothness for Schmidt and Cece going forward. Yeah, I don't not hope that. I mean, sure, I hope that. And I do feel like Cece and Schmidt are totally in game. And I know that there's so much between them that is taking them forward. But the way that this ended and the way that Schmidt didn't decide immediately for Cece or Elizabeth, but that just makes me want Cece to not choose Schmidt and to choose someone who's actually going to be someone she is interested in, but then is going forward if she's still really focused on fertility and having a baby. And I just don't think Schmidt's there right now. And I just don't feel like Schmidt's showing her the respect that you show someone that you want to be in that 
committed relationship with. So I guess that's why I'm a little bit more negative about it. I'm thinking way too seriously about it. I know. (laughs) But one other hope that I have for season three is not necessarily about Cece, but I hope to see more Robbie. And it doesn't mean to me that I want Cece to be with Robbie, but I guess I want to see more Robbie. And I really do hope he comes back as kind of that Cheers extra character. I agree. I don't really want to see Robbie with Cece, but I definitely want to see Robbie back on the screen because he was so fun this season to see, and I hope he does continue. Now, if you remember last season, we gave superlatives to each of the main characters that we reviewed. And rather than think of that ahead of time for this recap, we decided that we're going to change it up and we're going to use a random superlative generator to give us who is most likely to fill in the blank and we'll come up with who is the right character that fits that. So first, we're going to look at who's most likely to get ID'd when they're 30, which all these characters are 30. So that totally makes sense. I think absolutely just because once she starts talking and everybody starts hearing the things that she says, I think she often acts younger than 21. And I think she'd be the one to be ID'd. What about you? I think it could be Schmidt only because I feel like he has such like crazy antics sometimes that I'm sure some store clerk would be like, uh, I don't know about you. He seemed like you're really unsure of this alcohol thing and not as smooth as you think you actually are. Who do you think is best dressed? I mean, definitely Jess, actually. (laughs) I feel Jess is the easy answer here because there's so many times where I've actually had notes during our podcast where I'm just like, her outfit is the cutest thing. Everything else about the scene, I don't know. But this outfit, I would wear that. I think for me, I would flip your answer from last time. And for me, it would be Schmidt because he's always in suits. He always looks great in the suits. So to me, my answer for best dressed would be Schmidt. Uh, Yeah, okay, that's a really good point. (laughs) He probably is the best dressed. Uh, Who do you think is most likely to be Instagram famous? Cece. I mean, she's a model. She's got to put that out there. She was in a Lil Wayne video, wasn't she? So I think Cece is going to be the most Instagram famous. Would it be funny to say Nick or even Winston? I feel like either one of them have personalities that like what they post online would actually be like really hilarious and people would be like just following them to know what crazy thing they're going to do. There's totally accounts like that. So I feel like both of them, even on like a friendship account, I feel like they would get followed. I mean, they did create a combined dating profile that they referenced in season one. So I think together maybe, but Nick on his own, I don't think would be on social media. I mean... See us for zombies Instagram page. I feel like people would want to follow along. (laughs) Okay, so next up, who do you think is the biggest gossip? Ooh, that one's kind of hard. I feel like it might be... It might be Schmidt. I feel like he's always trying to, like, get the details and, like, know what's going on. And as we kind of have said previously in season one, like, he has his own control issues that we commented on. And there was that whole episode control where he was, like, dealing with that. That I feel like having gossip gives you some control or, like, knowing the gossip makes you more in the know that I feel like it would be him. My first answer was Schmidt, but then... I think it's actually Winston. I feel like he would have the gossip for everyone. He'd have the tea and he'd be some C storyline sharing gossip to everyone. 
Maybe if he was actually really good at gossip, it would improve his pranking. (laughs) (laughs) For our last one, most likely to survive the Hunger Games. (laughs) Nick. Nick? (laughs) I think it would be Nick. I think he would rally. I think he would find a way to survive, maybe like hanging out where no one can see him for most of the Hunger Games and then... I don't know. I, I think it'd be Nick. I don't really have a good reason. I mean, he is like the most MacGyvery of them all, where he's like fixed the sink and made it work with gum and like rubber bands in the wall. So it could definitely be Nick. But I would almost say Jess in a funny way, because I feel like her cuteness and whatnot would just confuse everyone. And she would be able to like get out of weird situations just by being curious about why someone's doing something and they get confused why she's asking questions so then it backfires on them I feel like she she wouldn't know she has that superpower but she would have that superpower maybe I think that one might be a stretch of being able to (laughs) I feel like she might be the first one to go in the Hunger Games that's also very possible also very possible well I hope you guys liked our new way of doing superlatives this recap and we hope you'll share who you thought was the best for these because there's so many good options so many and now that we've discussed each character gone through superlatives we wanted to dive into our favorite moments of the second season of new girl and our favorite podcast segments from this season so first up we actually had a listener question from moonlight christian who asked what was your favorite moment of season two so kind of breaking this up into favorite scenes versus favorite quotes I think my favorite scenes obviously gave me Cookie Got You Cookie, but Julius Pepperwood was really one of my favorite scenes in this episode. Just watching Nick embody Julius was amazing. This season was so difficult to pick my favorite. There were just too many good moments. One of my favorites was Jess dressing up as Elvis, and that is actually where my favorite quote comes from, is Bonnie saying you tap me twice. (laughs) Every time I think of that or hear that, I literally just bust out laughing like I just did because the way that Bonnie delivered that line was too much for me. I thought it was so hilarious. So that is my favorite quote. But my favorite scene, my obvious answer is Bearclaw in the bathroom being confused by Jess. But the one that is like more of like my serious, like, yes, this is really cool to me is future Nick. And somewhat believe about this time machine early on in the season. And so in episode two, there was all this foreshadowing of, okay, what are the four things that are going to happen to Nick and what is he going to do? And what was really cool is that we found that someone on Reddit was like, these things all actually happen because Nick does finish the zombie novel that he was writing. Z is for zombie. He does get a balloon, a hot air balloon in Tenfinity. He does make her an old fashioned just in that episode. And he tells Jess he's sorry because of breaking her up with Sam and all of the chaos that comes out of the cooler episode. So I thought that was a really cool insight that this person from Reddit had found. And then also reading this article with, with Brett Bear, he mentioned that people had actually called out to them that there was actually a balloon thing with the hot air balloon, but that 
this future Nick stuff, they didn't even plan all of that to happen. And it was just kind of cool to see not only is Nick meeting future Nick and we're having a moment where we're like excited about this and like going, is this real? What's happening? But then it wasn't actually planned for all of it to come true in the way that it did by the writers, but it kind of did really come true. So that's definitely my favorite like scene or scenes and moments that that was all tied together from the season. It's so cool how sometimes these shows take on a life of their own where a writer wasn't intending certain things. And I think it makes you view episodes differently, which is why my favorite quote is probably Nick saying, I don't know how you get a podcast, but you should look into it to Bob when he thinks that Bob knows everything. Because honestly, before I had this podcast, I probably wouldn't have even picked up that line. But it is so cool to see that in there as well. But when we were thinking about our favorites that we both really loved our favorite scene had to be nick and jess kissing in cooler and our favorite quotes were puppy in a cup of course duh (laughs) and nick saying to winston and jess that i've never been an inspiration before and immediately following it with i don't like this much responsibility so great to see again all of this season was so fun and so great and very difficult to choose but some of those just take the cake We did get another listener question from, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, at Dodie09, and they asked, what was your favorite Jess and Nick moment in season two? And so while we both really love the cooler kiss, and we keep just calling it the cooler kiss, but like to really think about Nick just grabbing her, like gone with the wind, the way that Jess described it, it really was seeing through space and time for a moment. Very, very intense intense moment with that scene but my specific favorite moment with Jess and Nick which is kind of a two-parter because if you think back in season one and you did listen to our spoiler section I actually shared my favorite moment and scene from all of New Girl is the weird scene that happens in season two episode 17 and this is really still my favorite all-time new girl scene where (laughs) Nick and Jess are trying to get to the bottom of like feelings or talking and they're just trying to ask each other why they're being so weird and they are just making like little funny faces and hand gestures at each other going weird 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 (laughs) and I love it I love it and that is definitely my most favorite Jess and Nick moment of season two but really of the whole show and mine was also not the Jess and Nick kissing moment. It was our favorite moment maybe in season two, but then specifically for Jess and Nick, I think, was when Jess asked Nick if he was okay at his dad's funeral and the way he looked at her when she came dressed as Elvis. I think I called it heart melty moments on the podcast when we talked about that episode. But honestly, just this moment, it's just such quiet intimacy and the way that they can check in on each other and Jess is there for Nick really stood out to me more so than even the kiss that they had earlier in the season. Oh, you're so right. His hands having a twitch to them and then like him finding connection with Jess. That was such a, that was a powerful moment. To come now to our Schmidtisms and to talk through one of our most favorite characters just generally, because he has his own section. We do this section all throughout all of our podcast episodes. And here we're going to talk through what our favorite ones were from the season that we did. Mine was definitely the Virginius <laughs> Schmidtism, where Schmidt is describing 
the appropriate best way to pleasure a woman to Sadie, the gynecologist. And this was something that Elizabeth Merriweather did mention that was thrown out in season one, but had come back. She just mentioned that because of all of the limitations placed on them by standards and practices when airing the content on live television, there was so much that they had to remove from how they can say anything. They couldn't say what part of the vagina. They couldn't have any suggestive hand motions. Obviously, that just came together in such a beautifully descriptive thing that was really not describing anything, but was hilarious given the context of what was happening. And even the part in the beginning of that episode where he's asking Sadie just originally, that is essentially what our Schmidtism was. But that too was just so uniquely Schmidt and still so uniquely not actually saying anything about what he's actually describing. (laughs) And my favorite Schmidtism was also, I would say, very uniquely Schmidt because it's the moment in Cooler when Chevron and Cece have come to check on Jess and Schmidt's asking Cece to lie for him. And when Chevron is talking, he's like, I don't know what that accent is. And Cece says, oh, it's an English accent. And Schmidt's response is, I speak English. That's not an English accent. And I just, it's so ignorant of Schmidt in some ways, but it's so funny, just like how quickly he's just dismissing that, of course, that's not the case. Had me in tears. That one was also really good. For the one we both like together, it is none other than in episode eight, Parents, when Schmidt and Big Schmidt, Double Schmidt's, are saying all day. (laughs) And so we're actually going to play that back for you right now. Getting into our Schmidtisms, you know that we already are so obsessed and love this all day situation. And I know that I've kind of touched on it a little bit or like said it a little bit in that voice, but we're actually going to have a special guest join us to be the voice of Big Schmidt. It's actually going to be my husband, Fernando, who does help out on our podcast, but usually behind the scenes. But he's going to come on this time, be our Big Schmidt voice, and I'm going to be Winston in the scene and Kritika, of course, is going to be Schmidt. Here it is. Look at this, Winston. I can do this all day, man. No, I got it all day, man. All day. I don't even think about it. That's awesome. Keep going. All day. I got all day, too. I can do this all day, Winston. Hey, how long can you do this for? I do this all day. Yeah, I got all day, too. Winston. Why are you yelling at me? I'll do this all day. I'll do it all day, Winston. We had to make this our Schmidtism. It was so iconic and... It's, it's the ultimate Schmidtism because it has Schmidt and Big Schmidt. Like, it's two Schmidts. Double the Schmidts, double the fun. Can't say it any better than that. But when we get to our In the 2020s section, we obviously have two parts. We have a not in the 2020s and a yes in the 2020s. So when we think about our not in the 2020s, we actually went with what our worst or something we really didn't like about this season that came up. And so for me... That was actually season two, episode 14, Pepperwood, which was the episode about pogos. And basically, Schmidt says to Cece, you're still hot. And that's all we're going to talk about. Reducing Cece's personality to just her looks and really excluding her from the loft in this moment. It really stood out to me as just unnecessary to even include after they've already made it. Oh, this is a loft only thing. And then this was just an unnecessary extra line. And for me... 
it really is when the show takes such a stance on a topic and is like, oh, this thing is this and doesn't really allow for any room for it to be different. And so where this happened for me was in episode five models, where it was just taken as truth that models are stupid. And it just felt really diminishing. And then the two that really stood out to us together as some of the more notable, not in the 2020s, is season two, episode 13, A Father's Love, when Schmidt and Robbie are crashing Cece's house. They're both not taking her no for an answer, and when she's trying to get them to leave or not respecting that, they're also chanting white power, white guy power, cool guy power. It's just, all of it is just really too much. And similarly with episode two, we talked about when Winston's family came to visit the storyline was really around Schmidt and there was a little bit of a continuing theme of race here, but then also just Schmidt's interactions with Winston's sister and how she didn't really seem like she wanted to be part of this and he just kept pushing was another one that stood out to us. But for our yes in the 2020s, we're back to picking our favorite ones and the ones that really stood out to us in a good way. And for me, the one that I maybe got oddly excited about, but excited about nonetheless, was having the episode Menzies and talking about periods on TV and just with her PMS and just all the fun things that we got for her to describe it because that really just made periods more fun. It's just something we all have to deal with. And I, I really appreciated that episode. And for me, it was season two, episode three, Fluffer, where Nick set his boundaries with Jess and it's not just that he was able to have this conversation with Jess and, and tell her what he expected or what he was comfortable with, but it not being arbitrary or driven by anyone other than Nick. Because in this episode, Winston really introduced the concept of the fluffer and telling him what he can and can't do. And I really appreciated that Nick was able to take that, but then also sit down and see what's okay with him and be able to vocalize that to Jess. Because as we saw later in the episode, it's not very clear on his communication with Jess. But together, our favorite yes in the 2020s moments were in episode 19, where Jess was on her painkillers, but then trying to get Nick to hook up with her. Nick was not giving in and he was not about to hook up with her because it was not clear what Jess wanted. So we really did like that moment, but we also really liked Robbie. We talked about how much we liked him in the Yes in the 2020 segments in episode one and episode 13, but the one that truly stood out to us is how we felt in episode six, Halloween. And here's a clip from that episode. Our yeses in the 2020s continue to include Robbie. We really appreciate how he's handling the situation, even if it has taken him some time to really step up to Schmidt and he's given Schmidt this benefit of the doubt that maybe other people really wouldn't have given. He's really setting his boundaries in a way that's respectful of Schmidt and respectful of his relationship with Cece and being firm in that. So he continues to be a yes in the 2020s for us. Robbie is really the best. He definitely is. But getting to our favorite pop culture segments, I had to pick episode 12, Cabin, where we talked about Smurfs. It's something that was one of my favorite cartoons growing up, and I actually still have some of the Smurf movies that have come out more recently. So it was really fun to be able to talk about that on this podcast. And for me, I really liked 
Schmidt's David Foster Wallace reference in episode 23, Virgins. It made me think back to season one recap where I was also picking my favorite pop culture. And for that one, I picked Neil Young's The Needle and the Damage Done because it was just such an obscure, weird reference for Schmidt. And so this one is actually, again, like I said, a Schmidt reference that is kind of obscure and random to come from Schmidt, but I'm beginning to feel like it's way less random and actually very in character for him to know about these like really specific, somewhat dark references in popular culture. <laughs> so I really appreciated him trying to get Jess to go quicker by saying, get to the point, David Foster Wallace. That was my favorite. And the one that really stood out to both of us as a favorite from this season's pop culture references that we explored was not actually pop culture, but it was when in episode 19, we dived into California lionfish. It was really fun to learn more about the California lionfish. And in case you missed it on that podcast, here's a clip of what we talked about then. I'm sure all of you want to know a little bit more about this very CC-like fish. However, <laughs> the way that it was used and described in this episode is really not accurate at all. There's actually quite a bit of information online of people who are not excited about the way the lionfish was used in this episode. But to give some background, the lionfish is a venomous marine fish native to the Indo-Pacific. And it's also sometimes called a zebrafish, a firefish, turkey fish, tasty fish, or a butterfly cod. But it gets those names because it's characterized by its coloration that actually is supposed to show a warning type of coloration because it has red, white, and black bands, kind of like stripes and showy fins that are very alerting or warning type. And their really spiny fins are venomous. And it's kind of interesting because Schmidt, as I laughed about when he is at the end of the episode and reaches his hand in to grab the fish and throw him back into the ocean, is not really what would have happened because they're actually quite harmful to humans. And had Schmidt done that, he would have been back in the hospital, most likely because of their venom. However, one other fun fact about them that I thought was interesting is that they actually have a complex courtship and mating behavior. So again, maybe not the fish that Schmidt wants to represent his love for Cece. And when we were looking up more information on lionfish or what we were looking for California lionfish, we actually found this article that was written by someone who was actually getting a doctoral dissertation on lionfish and was incredibly unhappy with the way New Girl represented lionfish in this episode. In fact, the actual title of the article was New Girl Fishes for Laughs Catches Terrible Episode. But some of the things that they called out in the article was that while lionfish are a popular aquarium fish because their striped spines were attractive to many collectors, like Kelly mentioned, they're found throughout the Indo-Pacific, not California, because California's chilly coast doesn't have any tropical fish. And the only U.S. state where they could be native was Hawaii. They're also not protected in the U.S. because the person who wrote this article actually referred to them as responsible for one of the worst invasions in history in 2010 to global biodiversity because they were fast-growing, voracious predators 
and they would reduce the native fish population by up to 79%. So many species saw sharp declines. And the venomous spines that Kelly spoke about, the author referenced that the pain of a sting from one of these lionfish had been described as just short of driving oneself completely mad. So there was no way Schmidt could have actually done that to a real lionfish. So they're very much not welcomed. They are not endangered, as the aquarium worker did say. And they're not from California. So (laughs) my speculation is that some of the writers of New Girl went online to see if there was a fish that could be somewhat resembling to Cece so that Schmidt could obsess over it. It was really fun to get to learn more about the California lionfish, especially with how they introduced it in that episode and Schmidt's whole story arc in this episode about how Cece was really the lionfish. Yeah, and just how inconsistent everything was. Our favorite guest stars in season two... We like to pick both a favorite actor, the person who plays the character, and the favorite character, the one that the writers wrote for the show. And for me, my favorite actor was Olivia Munn, who played Angie. It is always fun to dive into these actors a little bit deeper, and so it was cool to learn, I hadn't known previously, that she was a Daily Show correspondent and was originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my favorite actor was Odette Annabelle, who played Shane in episode 19, For me, it was just really exciting to see her on my screen because some of the other people that we had seen and talked about as guest stars through the show, we'd actually known were in the episodes because we've watched the show before, but I didn't remember her being in there and just seeing her after seeing her in a number of other shows like Supergirl and Walker, it was fun to see her on this show, even if her arc was so small. Together, we both really liked David Walton, of course, who played Sam, and And it was kind of interesting to read a little bit more about David Walton being in the show. Elizabeth Merriweather had, she actually had to go to bat for him because the network was a little bit skeptical about Jess being in a sex-only relationship. They just didn't see that coming through. And Elizabeth Merriweather said, trust me, and you'll see once we shoot it. And because of David Walton and how he played the part, they knew that it was going to work and it would be the best ever. And We definitely thought so. Yeah, this particular actor, it was just so great to see him. And I'm glad it wasn't just that one little bit of an arc and that he did end up coming back later in the season so that we got even more of David Walton. But another actor that does keep coming back in different episodes this season was my favorite guest star, which was Tran, played by Ralph Ahn. And one really cool thing we found about this that Dave Finkel shared was that Jake Johnson, who plays Nick, was the one who came up with the idea for Tran and had texted Elizabeth Merriweather to say, what if I have a Vietnamese friend in a park? And while that was originally slated for a different episode, it got put into Menzies, where I think we really got to meet and love Tran. If you all were listening through the whole season, I'm sure you know that my favorite guest star and character that was not one of the main characters from this season was Bearclaw. Oh my gosh, I loved Bearclaw so much. It was funny because Brett Bear shared how they thought the Bearclaw character was actually going to be recurring and semi-regular and to introduce this more as a friend for Jess. But then they thought it would be a lot more dynamic and interesting if it was part of the adult stuff, as they said, with Jess rather than it only being Sam for the sex-only stuff. 
and they thought they could bring it in with Bear Claw too. But I just feel like Josh Gad, like not my favorite actor that I picked, but like the way that he played Bear Claw and just, it just was so perfectly what it was. I just thought it was too funny. Like the way he phrased the wording of the script and the lines, it just really made that character come to life. And I think it would have been really fun to see him be more of a recurring friend for Jess and even just the loft in general. Well, maybe he'll come back in season three or another season, at least an episode somewhere here or there. But our favorite guest star, who we both loved, was definitely Robbie, who's another character that we mentioned we really do hope comes back. But it was fun to see that, like we mentioned earlier, the writer's room even really liked making stories for Robbie. And Elizabeth Merriweather had to say, we need stories for other characters too. But the dynamic that Robbie brought to the show was just really funny and everyone loved writing for him. And one of our favorite things that we learned from Elizabeth Merriweather that we previously shared on our episode 25 podcast is just if they could have had a longer episode for episode 25, Elaine's Big Day, they would have added one extra little piece where Robbie shows up after the wedding has ended because it got canceled and everything asking, where is it? Where's the wedding? (laughs) Try to get there too, to also sabotage it essentially, but show up late. I think that would have been just the best. Like it's almost like worth knowing it now that that was like one little extra hope in there, because I don't think that changes anything about the storyline at all. It just would have been nice to see him again in that episode. I think anytime we get more Robbie, we're all happy. (laughs) We really, we really do love Robbie. Can you tell this is, he's our favorite for sure. And getting to our last listener question that we got for this recap, we had a listener ask, which couple in season two were you saddest to see break up this season? And although I love that Jess and Nick are together, I think I was saddest to see Jess and Sam break up because we had to see it twice. And the first time it was handled so maturely and Jess and Sam both were able to really share their perspective. And like Kelly mentioned earlier, it just didn't align and they were able to walk away from that. But then the second time, obviously, it was a little bit marred by the kiss with Nick And I just think that if they hadn't had that impediment, Jess and Sam really could have been something great, even though he wanted to high five in the morning. I agree with you. Jess and Sam really could have been cute and they could have had a a longer thing that could have come out of their relationship. But the couple that broke up that made me the saddest was definitely Cece and Robbie. I feel like I'm just repeating. I really liked seeing what that dynamic was. And I feel like, as we've said, we've wanted to see more Robbie. We hope to see more Robbie in the future. And now that they've broken up, the writers would have to get inventive of how he really comes back. If it really is like, okay, he's just like in cheers, the guy who hangs around. But I just don't see that always happening because because they couldn't always have that longer episode that they were hoping for. But then to come to one of our last sections that we always do in every podcast, trivia and fun facts, we've shared a little bit throughout with little things we've read from the article series from the AV Club that we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. But we also wanted to recap what our favorite trivia and fun facts were that we covered on our podcast this season. For me, I really liked in episode 21 where we dove into jaywalking a little further. It was cool to learn about what the rules actually are in California versus (laughs) what actually was happening and what tickets were being handed out to Jess and Nick and even Russell as they continuously jaywalked throughout this episode. 
And for me, I think the one that really stood out was in Katie episode two, when we learned that Emily Deschanel was going to be in this episode, who's Zoe's sister, to play Katie, which would show kind of how they might have been mistaken for each other. And they were going to have Katie at the end, just kind of waiting on Sam somewhere. And then for our favorite trivia and fun facts that we covered that we both loved was really learning more about Heisler, the fake beer brand that they use throughout the season. So both in just finding out more and how many shows this beer is actually used in and getting to see it used in all of the true American games really stood out to us. So we love learning more about it. And something else that we learned from the article series about season two is the impact that the network decisions had on the show. So today in the 2020s, many, many shows are shared via streaming services and get developed in a totally different way than like they were back in 2012, 2013, when they're releasing every week on a major network television station. And it really is up to the ratings and the views of the show each week to continue to have it on the air. So if the network said jump, shows very typically said how high. And that was actually shared quite frequently throughout all this article series with Elizabeth Merriweather and the showrunners because they mentioned how they had some unique opportunities, both good and bad, where, for example, the network had them do a two-episode premiere where they could have had a one big hour-long episode to kick off the season, but it actually ended up being two single-part episodes, one that aired at 8 p.m. on the night it aired, and then the next, not following it directly, but aired at 9 p.m. with like a half hour in the middle. So it was kind of an interesting thing to know and, and hear that when relaunch aired, Katie actually aired only 30 minutes later. It's very interesting because the whole idea behind having two separate episodes was that when you watched at nine, you shouldn't feel like you missed something, but that's not what you would expect to see. And like Kelly mentioned in a streaming service, when people are watching New Girl today, you might just be watching it, binging it, honestly. And so you may never have even noticed that these actually aired in the same night. And also with some of the changes that came from the network, we found that as reading through this article series that there were many episodes that had changed on when they were supposed to be launching. And so some of that changes came from the network saying this episode needs to happen now. Or for instance, like they had one of their episodes airing after American Idol and the choice is made to put something that everybody could relate to rather than a more niche new girl piece like Bachelorette Party. And so that's one of the reasons why Bachelorette Party and First Date were switched in their order in release. But then there's also content changes. Like originally the Jess and Nick kiss was going to happen in Fluffer. And that was going to be a two-part episode with Halloween and having that be the fallout of him telling her that he liked her or kissing her. And that would have led to a completely different season than what we actually saw. Because I think we did get the whole first half of the season to build to words cooler. And while I think all of us would have loved if that came sooner, I really do like how we had to work for it a little bit to wait for it. They even were on the path that they were, where they were moving things around as they were going. But then 
also learned from the network that they had to add an extra episode this season. So that's where we got 25 episodes instead of 24 because they added in the episode of Virgins. While that was a great episode, a fun episode to come out of that and a cool opportunity, it also kind of made the story seem a little inconsistent, which is I know what we talked about in our podcast during that episode of just kind of where it fell and what the dynamic was of the loft at that moment. And ultimately, the changes of what the network put forward totally shifted how this season really played out. It also is just interesting that we learned as well through the New Girl reunion that happened in 2021 that a lot of the wording choices, like I even mentioned during my favorite Schmidtism, the Virginia Schmidtism, had to be adapted based on what standards and practices would allow to air on live television. That also really put a lot of limitations on how the show could be developed and how they could take characters' paths because there were just certain things that just weren't allowed, which is so unlike what is allowed today on streaming services. Yeah, I think if the show had been made today on Netflix as a Netflix original or Hulu or any of the other streaming services, it would look completely different and maybe be a little bit more more aligned with the original name of New Girl Chicks and Dicks and would be a completely different show. But another thing that really stood out about the show and what we learned was that this show has gone further than the show itself and has really become part of pop culture and part of the real world. And so in Fluffer, when we talked about how Schmidt pretended to be a Romney brother, there actually was a moment where the actual Romney brothers appeared on Piers Morgan and were talking about this episode. And so to see the show transcend past just what we as viewers are seeing, but actually being looked at by people who are referenced in this show as part of pop culture, it was very cool to see that, you know, the Romney brothers did actually know that this episode was there. It's interesting that they did decide to go political in that episode, but I think that the way that they did it, it was kind of funny and really took itself out of the New Girl universe. So getting to our rating and favorite character section, just looking at what IMDb averaged out. So we took all of the episodes of IMDb ratings for season two and averaged them together. And the season two average was a 7.93, which was just shy of eight. When comparing that to the season one episode average, that was 7.76, and the entire show is 7.7. So basically, it looks like from what raters on IMDb have rated, this season was actually better than season one and one of the better seasons in New Girl overall. And so my rating for the season, as I'm rating it today, would be an eight and a half. I think there were so many good portions to this season. I think... I came into relaunch really loving how we took in the second season. There are moments that maybe I wasn't as pleased with, and there are episodes like Neighbors that weren't my favorites, but I really love this season overall. I also would agree that this is one of the higher rated seasons over many of the seasons. Obviously, we still have three through seven to watch and review, but I gave this season a nine out of 10 because thinking over all of the amazing moments, all of the fun characters that we got, all of the fun scenes, intense moments, the first thing to happen with Jess and Nick, but also Bearclaw, come on. Like I had to give it a nine out of 10. 
Okay, minus the bear claw thing, I think I'm actually going to raise my rating to a 9-2 because this really was such a great season. And it's interesting because when I look at the actual average for what my episode-by-episode ratings are, I pretty much stayed between a 7 and a 10 with most of my episodes being at an 8. So my average rating was actually just an 8. But I think looking at it as a whole, I had to bump it up to a 9 today. Yeah, over the whole course of the season, if you average my ratings together, I was at an 8.2. So I did bump it up a little myself as well. But it was a great, great season. And then per what I had rated all the episodes throughout the season, Cooler was my top rating. I gave it a 10 out of 10. But when I'm actually thinking about what my favorite episode would be now, I think it's actually episode 19, Quick Hardening Cock, because I think there was just so much there. I loved watching Jess and Nick really start to have conversations and be honest with each other. And although they didn't end the episode together, that episode really stood out for me. And very similarly, I also gave Cooler a 10 out of 10 while we were podcasting it. And it was fun to see too that we did a poll on Instagram stories with our followers to say, okay, what's the best episode of season two? And everyone voted down. And it really was also Cooler that got chosen because how could it not? But I really like your pick, Kritika, of just like now reflecting back on the episodes. Quick Hardening Cock was a really fun episode, and I did like it a lot too. But my favorite now today when I think back is Katie. I just, I mean, I'm really too obsessed with Bear Club, but I just thought it was so fun how Jess just really was almost putting on this alter ego to be Katie and go with it and explore what that was going to be and... How Nick and Bearclaw and Sam and the other guy from the bar all show up in the bathroom to see what's going on and she's just there making out. It's a whole thing. So I just thought Katie was just such a fun, well-scripted episode. I think anything with Bearclaw would put it above for you now. I'm very biased and I'm not <laughs> afraid to say it. <laughs> but when we look at our favorite characters, in season one, as I was going through the episodes, it was Nick, but I picked Jess at our season one recap. And I am very firmly Nick now. Not only do I think he's my favorite character as we've been talking through all of this, but even looking back at all of season two, he was my favorite character for 15 out of 25 of the episodes. So I am very strongly in the Nick camp. That's crazy. I picked Nick as my favorite season one character. I also picked Nick for eight episodes throughout as we were reading as we went. I picked Jess though for eight episodes as well, but at the end of the day, I really do have to settle on Nick. This was a really fun, transformative season for him, and he was my favorite through the whole season. And how can we go wrong with Nick? Exactly. Another part of our season recap episodes is that we like to review information and stats about you all listening to us. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to our episodes of Who's That Girl? Our top episode, by and far, is episode one, of our whole show, the pilot episode, which makes a lot of sense just being the first episode of our show. But then in season two, the top episodes that are listened to are episode seven, Menzies, episode three, Fluffer, episode 15, Cooler, episode 16, Table 34, and 
episode six, Halloween. And our top countries where people listen to us are the United States, and then the UK, Great Britain, Northern Ireland, Australia, India, Germany, and Canada. Most of our listeners do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Over 60% are iOS users and 22% listen on Android phones. And on Spotify, we do have over 1,300 listeners and their age range is mostly between 23 to 34. And that wraps up our spoiler-free recap of season two. So before we get into our spoiler section, like Kelly said, we just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's been so great to see you interacting with us on social media with things like the favorite season two episode that we've been posting recently and the emails we've gotten from you. If you haven't yet reached out to us, we're on Twitter and Instagram at who's that girl pod. And our email is who's that girl pod at gmail.com. So if you're looking for more season two content or you want to go back to season one, all of our podcasts are available wherever you're listening to today. And all our show notes are on our website at smallscreenchatter.com. Now we're going to get into our spoiler section, so if you have not watched the rest of the show or you don't want to hear about any future storylines, we're going to give you a chance to break away. But we just wanted to say we've loved putting this podcast together for you, and we're so excited about season three. So as always, you now have five more seconds to get out before the spoilers start. So starting out with our endgame couples, Jess and Nick. In season one, they had about a 4.9 average rating. And in season two, as you'd expect, it was higher at a 6.6. So it was very exciting to see this couple actually start to get together here. And so we had to explore how long they would actually last. And it's nice to see that pretty much all of season three, we're going to get to see them kind of explore this relationship. And they don't break up until season three, episode 20, Mars Landing. We've also talked a lot about Jess and Nick's family in season two, and we know that in season three, we do get to meet Jess's sister, and that starts in season three, episode 16. Also, a fun fact about just kind of where these characters are going is Dave Finkel shared that after having Nick's zombie novel, Zia's for Zombies, come out, they kind of knew that his writing career is not done, so Eventually, we do have the Pepperwood Chronicles that come out, and that's something, too, that Elizabeth Merriweather said, that Pepperwood might come back in some way, and they were thinking of a way that would be more emotional to bring it back, which I think both with Nick and with the Pepperwood Chronicles, it really does come together. And it's really cool to see that since this article was written after season two, but not after the whole show. So maybe they already had an idea for where they were going to take this, or maybe this is just a line in an interview that just somehow panned out. But when we get to Schmidt and Cece, in season one, we had an average of 5.1 because they did spend a lot of the season together. But in season two, most of their time was spent apart. And so their average dropped to about 2.6. Obviously, at the end of the season, we leave them with Schmidt not deciding between Elizabeth and Cece. And so he does actually start dating both of them in season three. So that doesn't stop until episode three, double date. But like we mentioned last season recap, Schmidt and Cece don't actually get back together until season four, episode 22. Our douchebag tracker is another thing that we always rate for Schmidt every episode. And so our average from all of season one was a 5.7. 
but then in season two, it did go up slightly to a 6.1. And while it did go up, it is pretty consistent from season one to season two. As we did kind of mention, a lot of the douchiness was actually just more around the relationships that he was in. So we are seeing the douchiness a little bit more focused. But then as we know, this is always something that is transitioning to him being more of a genuine guy. Winston is not someone who we typically track every episode in our spoilers, but with the season recap now, we did want to touch on him. Winston and Daisy are going to break up pretty early on in season three, but really what comes out of that is in the moment that in the time that they're breaking up, he takes Ferguson, Daisy's cat, from Daisy. So Ferguson then, as we all know and love, is now Winston's cat from this moment through the end of the whole series. In season three, we also see not too many consistent love interests for Winston. He has a little bit of a relationship with Birdie, but then really what comes out of season three is his interest and focus towards the LA police department. And he goes through the beginning steps of trying to get a job with the LAPD. Also in season three, episode one, we find out that Winston's colorblind. That's going to be a really fun addition to Winston's character. And I already can tell that we're going to get a lot more of Winston in season three. And then we also mentioned in our season one recap that obviously Winston and Allie and Winston becoming a cop was a big part of his storyline. So those begin to happen in season four, episode six, background check, and Allie and Winston start dating in season five, episode 19. And finally, we didn't really talk about Coach throughout season two because he was not really mentioned and wasn't part of the storyline, but he does come back this next season. So season three, episode seven, titled Coach, is when Coach returns. So we'll get to start talking more about him again next season. And while there's still so much to come in season three and beyond with New Girl, Critique and I want to say thank you for listening to our recap of season two. If you've hung out with us through the season, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out on Instagram or on Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod. You can also send us an email at the email address Who's That Girl Pod at gmail.com. Season three will be coming to you soon, and we can't wait to dive into all the things. We're so ready. So, thank you so much for listening to our season two recap. We'll chat soon. Bye. Yeah, we can do this all day. No, I'm going to cut that. I don't want to do that.